Hello, I'm Peter Dunn from the University of Warwick, and today I'm joined by Professor Stuart Palmer, a long-serving academic here at the university and a senior officer. And today he has been awarded the honorary degree of Doctor of Science by Warwick. Uh, Professor Palmer was educated at Sheffield University, where he graduated in physics in 1964. He studied for his PhD in Sheffield, focusing on the magnetic properties of materials, obtaining his doctorate in 1968. He joined the University of Hull's Applied Physics Department following that, and his research interests range from the application of ultrasound in medical and industrial problems to the use of international facilities such as the synchrotron X-ray and neutron probes, in using them in the study of materials. Professor Palmer joined the University of Warwick in 1987 and was made head of the physics department in 1989, a post he held until 2001. His many notable research achievements include the pioneering of non-contact ultrasound, in particular the application of ultrasound to the diagnosis and monitoring of osteoporosis, and a discovery of novel forms of magnetic domains and magnetic structures, particularly in rare earths. In 1995, he was appointed as the university's first pro-vice-chancellor for research, and in 1999, he became the senior pro-vice-chancellor. He was appointed to the new post of deputy vice-chancellor at Warwick in 2001, and then in 2009 to 2010, he also served as the interim chair for the university's new School of Life Sciences. Professor Palmer also served a number of occasions as the university's acting vice-chancellor. As well as his many academic achievements and his many achievements as a senior university of manager, he also had the rather unusual achievement of having one of Hull's new pioneer trains named after him. The train was officially named the Professor Stuart Palmer at a special ceremony at the Paragon Station in Hull. It's fitting to note that the department he was in charge of has also relatively recently announced that it has developed a new ultrasonic-based method to detect dangerous cracks in rail tracks, bringing together his research and his train in one fell swoop. Today he is awarded an honorary Doctor of Science. So I'm Peter Dunn from the University of Warwick and I'm joined today by Professor Stuart Palmer, a long-serving researcher and senior officer here at the University. Now for all of these podcast interviews we tend to start by welcoming the uh, honorary graduate to the University, but on this occasion I can hardly welcome you as you've been here longer than I have. Well, when, when did you first join the University, Stuart? came in September 1987 from uh, from Yorkshire, from the University of Hull, uh, and it really was a, a, a significant change moving from uh, a, a, a university and, and, a, and a house in the middle of the city uh, to a, a campus university and, and living in a, a rather small town. Yeah. I, can, I can imagine. Now, I've listened to your oration because you've just received your honorary Doctor of Science from the university, and it was a very unassuming oration where you spent most of the time talking about previous honorary graduates. But I'd like to hear a bit more about you, and have you any particular memories about your time at Warwick that come to the fore? I think m- memories memories flood in, don't they? Uh, and, and, and starting at the very, very early days, I'd spent all my uh, academic career as, a, as an undergraduate, as a postgraduate, as a, as a, a member of academic staff uh, in universities that were that were in the middle of cities. Uh, and coming to a campus university was a big change. In fact, I remember my first uh, tutorial with first-year students in 1987. I sat down and apologised to them 
that they were rather isolated here. They weren't near the all the big flashing lights and the and, and the activity of a city, and was very rudely put in my place <laughs> when they said, "That's why we're here. That's what we <laughs> That's want. That's why they chose to come we, to we the. We want years. a campus university." Uh, and, and from then, of course, uh, developing from there, the, the advantages and the opportunities that a campus university brings are, are very clear. And the students really welcome it and benefit from it, uh, as does the, the whole academic community. So that was, that was the first, the first uh, real uh, uh, change that I saw. The other big impact on me was coming from a, tra a traditional, a very traditional university where things took time. Uh, at their own pace, please don't rush them, to a university that was very, very rapidly active, proactive, uh, with a, a senior administrative staff with a very can-do attitude, uh, where you came along with a, a question or a problem or an opportunity, uh, and the response was, yes, let's give it a go, let's try it. Uh, and that was, that was also a, a, a big change. And, of course, that attitude, that can-do attitude, uh, is still with the university, and it's been there for the whole time I've been here, and of course it's one of the, the roots of the success of Warwick. Mm. And you were talking about students who'd actively chosen to come to Warwick to study physics. You, of course, actively chose to study physics long term as a career. Why physics? Um, it's the, it's, the, it's the, the, the reason is the, the, the same reason that many, many students of, of physics or chemistry or mathematics or biology will give, uh, and it's the influence of the school teacher. I had a, a very, very influential dynamic, intelligent, interactive, approachable physics teacher who um, uh, was, was really tremendous and probably today would not have gone into the teaching profession. There were so many other opportunities, there are so many other opportunities today that he may well have gone off and earned his fortune somewhere else but he, he, he inspired me but a whole host of other students to, to take physics. And of course uh, listeners are listening to us at the minute by the medium of sound and sound has been quite important to you in your particular <laughs> branch of physics, a particular form of sound as well. That's right. I started off as a, as a PhD student. I, I said to my, uh, my supervisor when I started PhD back in 1964, I'd, I'd like to work with you. I'd like to work in, in magnetism and um, study the, uh, the, the magnetic properties of materials. But the last thing I want is to, is to get involved in, in electronics and, and electronic design and development and construction and testing. And what did he do? He gave me a project <laughs> that immediately required about, about 12 months electronic design and testing because we were building a rather novel piece of equipment uh, that would the electronics was used to generate ultrasound, mm. sound above the audible limit sound at, at very high frequencies, up in the, the millions of cycles per second, rather than the thousands of cycles per second that we use for hearing. And I was using that back in the, uh, the, uh, the mid-60s to, um, to, to a rather academic pursuit to look at the fundamental properties of a series of elements in the periodic table. Elements that then had magnetic properties that pe all below room temperature. They were only magnetic below room temperature, and, and therefore they were a curiosity, which we were investigating uh, out of curiosity. Mm. And so we started that work. The ultrasound that was used as a probe to study the magnetic properties is, is something now, of course, that is uh, a, a useful technique in industry, a useful technique in, in medicine, and we've been able to exploit both those applications. But the materials themselves, the rare earth materials themselves, have developed a whole wide range of applications. 
you now step into your motor car, mm. uh, and in your motor car you probably have uh, up, upwards of a hundred permanent magnets made of these rare earth metals, so that when you press the button, the windscreen, that the, the, the window goes up and down. When you press the button, your seat goes backwards and forwards. Uh, when you press the starter button, the starter car, and all of this is based on the rare earth magnetic materials, which are now formed into permanent magnets. And crucially, for like the mobile phone I have in my hand at the minute has coal tan, isn't it? Isn't yes, it? Yeah. The, the, that's right. The mobile phones have mm -hmm. uh, rare earth magnets in the rare earth materials mm -hmm. in them as well. And they're not, you may think from the title, rare earth materials, that they're rare. They're not. They're in very, very wide occurrence around the world. Uh, the big problem is that there are 14 of those elements in the periodic table. When you mine them, you mine all 14 together. Ah. And they all have very, very similar chemical properties because of the outer electron mm. shell. And so separating one from another is very difficult. Mm. And so the, the, the big breakthrough with them in the 60s was to learn chemically how to separate the 14 elements one from another, and then you can use them all for whatever property, whatever application they're best suited to. Right. And you touched on ultrasonics and medicine. It's actually been crucial for the treatment of, of particularly women of osteoporosis. And indeed, one of your own members of staff was quite surprised one day Jill to discover that um, she was being treated by a machine which essentially you invented? That's right. It was a collaboration when I was up, up in Hull between myself and uh, an orthopaedic surgeon from Doncaster Royal Infirmary who came along. He, he asked the question, can you use ultrasound to probe the internal structure of bone? Because until then, bone was thought in, in all ultrasonic testing, bone was just a, a mirror, a reflector. Uh, and you won't be able to get the ultrasound inside to study what's happening inside. So we developed techniques by, by uh, uh, changing the frequency, finding the optimum frequencies to look inside the, the, bony, the bony structures. And the, the technique that we developed is now available throughout the world. I think you're very un unusual if you can find a hospital without, a, without one. The doctor's surgeries quite often have them. And diagnostic companies will, will go around with these pieces of equipment testing the community mm -hmm. uh, as a, an, an initial diagnosis of whether there is a likelihood that uh, osteoporosis is, is, is developing. A typical, typical British uh, situation, of course. The discovery we made, the invention we made, and we built the first piece of commercial hmm. kit as well. That was in the early 80s. University of Hull at the time had no interest in, in patenting it, in protecting it. We were relatively poor academics and couldn't afford all, the, mm. all that was required. And so, uh, uh, although we set up the first company to exploit it, a little spin-out company, uh, all the, all the uh, development is now is in the States or in the Far East, and the company's developing and producing and marketing our, our all-American or, mm. or Far East companies. It must be nice to see so many women benefiting, including your own PA. From the it was great. It was great when uh, Jill said um, uh, that I'm off to the, the health, to the, the health centre to have a, a, a check. And I said, what sort of check? She said, well, I'm, they're going to check my bones for, 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 for osteoporosis. And I said, how are they going to do it? <laughs> she said, well, it's this ultrasound. Ah, yes, <laughs> amazing, great surprise. Uh, and, and of course, it is totally, totally painless, totally mm -hmm. harmless. Uh, and only takes takes uh, mm. uh, a, a few minutes. Of course, the other surprise you had to take you back to Hull, if we can, is um, uh, you got your own train based in Hull 
And not many people could have trains named after them. How did that come about? It's, it's a nice story. Uh, the, the, a company was formed when, when it was possible to form independent railway companies. A company was formed called Hull Trains, who uh, got the contract to run trains from Hull down to King's Cross on the, on the East Coast main line. Uh, and they, they started their uh, initiative by buying four trains that uh, the manufacturers of the trains dis defined as, as, as pioneer models. And so they thought they'd pick up on this idea of pioneers and look within Hull and its uh, region for people who might have made some pioneering developments uh, and name the trains after them. Uh, and the four people they chose were m myself, uh, for the mainly for the, uh, the, the the medical ultrasound work, George Gray, uh, who discovered liquid crystals in the University of Hull at the time, uh, and of course that, that that's had uh, yeah, I'm sure you can say an even bigger impact than uh, the medical ultrasound. Liquid crystals are, are everywhere, and the other two, one was the uh, uh, the launcher, the developer of the of the Hull Truck Theatre Company, which uh, tours all over the country mm. still. Uh, and that the fourth one was an international architect uh, with buildings all around the world. Uh, and so I thought it was a joke when I got the letter through the post that said uh, we'd very much like you to accept the, this, this train with your name on. Uh, it, was a, it was a great privilege. Uh, and the particular beneficiaries were my grandchildren, who were <laughs> at, the, at the launch were able to sit in the cab and toot the horn and, 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 and watch the train pull out of the station. Yes, I got pictures of you for flying. Oh yes, I on. waved it on the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have the opportunity, which I've never found time to take up, to to sit in the cab with the driver on wherever, wherever he would want. I would want it to take me, but uh, I've never never taken that uh, advantage. Well, one opportunity you you did have to take up was, um, as well as serving as deputy vice chancellor here and many other senior administrative roles, you have spent almost a year in total as the acting vice chancellor of Warwick. Uh, over two or three stints. Was that a, something that was expected or was that something where uh, in, there's a particular story, a particular uh, remembrance from that time that you have? It, 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 um, it, it, you're right, it happened, uh, it happened three times. It happened, mm. first of all, in between two vice-chancellors. Uh, Professor Sir Brian Follett uh, retired, uh, and after he retired, obviously, we, we went hunting for a new vice-chancellor. So that was a, uh, a four or five month period uh, in, in, the, in the intervening period until we identified uh, uh, Professor David van der Linde who, who joined us the, the following summer. The second two were when van, David van der Linde himself had uh, long periods of ill health mm. uh, and uh, I, I stepped in uh, to, to, to do that. And the ill health was su sufficient that uh, the last thing he wanted to think about at the time was running the, the university, university yeah. um, and, and and so they were uh, they were um, really uh, enjoyable peers, except that I was still continuing the role as deputy vice chancellor <laughs> as well. Um, but no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, well thank you very much for sparing the time uh, today to speak to us, and uh, once again, congratulations on receiving your honorary degree. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you.